0: I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, and I need to go ahead and warn you this morning that you might as well just put a marker there, because I really feel a stirring in my heart for this series of meetings and for our time together on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday that most if not all, of what we're going to be doing together in these days and nights. It's all going to be based, really, on one verse of Scripture that we're going to come back to and then go in a different direction and come back to and go this way and come back to and go that way, come back to and go another way. God knows we may come back to and go out from this verse of Scripture. I don't know yet. But it may be every meeting. I'm not sure, but we'll just see. But it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and it's verse 30. And it's actually only a portion of verse 30. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Therefore the Lord God of Israel said, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now says the Lord, underline that word now. Something is changing. God had said something, God had planned something, God had orchestrated something, God had already instituted a plan, but all of a sudden we come to that little three-letter word, N-O-W, and that says there's an updated version coming to the plan and an adjustment is being made, a course correction is in the process of taking place. He said, but now, the Lord said, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me, or reject me, or oppose me, or treat me with disrespect, He said, those shall be lightly esteemed. Those shall be lightly esteemed. Did everybody get that scripture underlined? Did you put your marker there so you know where it is and we can come back there again? All right then. Turn with me please to Psalm 33. Psalm 33 and let's begin reading this morning with verse 10 where the Bible says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. And then in verse 12, He said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. He said, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations, the plans and the purposes, the designs of the brightest, most talented, most skilled, most educated most articulate of a nation. He said the Lord brings all of that wisdom, all of that collective understanding. He said the Lord will just bring all that to nothing. He makes the plans of the people, the desires of the people. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Vote for me. You can, I'll do this for you. He said, well, he just makes all of that of no effect. Verse 11 says the counsel of the Lord will stand forever. It doesn't change. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you want to understand what God's going to be doing in the days ahead, go back and look what God's been doing in the past. All He does is what He did in the past just in a bigger, fuller revelation of His glory, greater and fuller revelation of His power, greater, fuller revelation. Of himself in every successive generation. He doesn't change the plans of his heart to all generations. And then in verse 12, he said, Blessed, blessed. I know that that word blessed and blessing is part of the very DNA of this house, it is part of your identity and who you are. And it's been taught and preached. And demonstrated and lived and held up as an ideal of attainment throughout the history of God working in this river and in this flow, in this city. To God be the glory for all of it. But you understand the word blessed. Blessed. You understand the word blessing because of the marvelous, wonderful teaching that you've had for all of these many years. The Bible says blessed, blessed, I say blessed, all that you've learned, all that you know, all that you've experienced, all that you've contended by faith for to attain in that word blessed is an entire nation whose God is the Lord, the people that He has chosen for His own inheritance. I suppose everyone has a favorite holiday. For me, it's probably a toss-up between Thanksgiving and the holiday that we just observed this past week. I love having a birthday party for America. We were 236 years old this week. That sounds really old. I've preached in churches in England, in Europe, that were two or three times that old. Buildings that were two times or three times as old. I I preached in one church and been there for 900 years. Most of the members were buried in the front yard, big cemetery, big Anglican church somewhere over there, 900 years old. America is not really old by the standards of world history. When we look at this nation compared to the birth dates of other nations, we're really just moving out of our teenage years right now in comparison to others. 236 years old. This is an amazing country. Been all over the world. God has sent us all over the world and continues to. But there's never a time that comes that the wheels of the jet touch the runway, coming back from somewhere else, that there's just a sigh of relief in my heart. Thank God for America. Every time I go through customs and lay that passport down in front of those people, and I'm there blurry-eyed and weary and tired and aching and asleep, And the guy at customs says, how are you doing? And I go, I'm good now. (laughs) I'm good now. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I've done. But I'm good now. It's all good. Everything is good now. You know, when I I run into people, they're bad-mouthed in America and talking about this nation. You know what they're telling me? They've never been anywhere else. If you've ever been anywhere else, you'll thank God for this nation. Yeah, if you've got an attitude about America, hey, we'll get you a one-way ticket anywhere else you want to go. You just hand in your passport when you get there and tell them you never want to go home. This is the most amazing place. But there's a reason for that. America is an amazing place today. Not because we were smarter, not because we worked harder, it was not because this land had more natural resources. I mean, do you realize you can go to some places in Africa and literally pick diamonds and gold up out of the ground? Was it because this place called America had so many resources or was founded by such smart, smart, smart people? or people worked hard, or we had a particular kind of government, or so so forth and so on. But there's a reason that America has always been the envy of the world and remains the envy of the world. I was in India in January, found a television and turned it on, and they were covering the American Republican presidential debates live from Tampa, Florida. On Indian television. I remember in a restaurant in Karachi, Pakistan, breaking the heart of a waiter there when I told this guy that WWE wrestling was fake. I shouldn't have done it. It was like telling a 30-year-old there was no Santa Claus. It was, no, 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 it's real, it's real. I said, no, I said, no, it's not real. I said most of them live in Tampa, they own bars, they're in business together. It's a show. No. Go anywhere in the world. I mean, drive across the border and watch Canadian television. You know what's on Canadian television? You know what's on the BBC? The news of what happened today in America. The whole world watches our nation because of what we've been. Let me tell you a little bit about our history. The people that came here were a a very diverse lot of people, very, very diverse culture, beliefs, very, very different, unique kind of folks. But they all came here seeking one thing, and that was the idea of of a new world, a new place, a new beginning. But for many of them, they came here looking for a place of freedom to worship. And by the time we got to the 1730s, The American colonies were flourishing. The American colonies, we were still part of England at that time. But the colonies were flourishing. Trade was flourishing. Agriculture was flourishing. The colonies that were here had taken root, and it was going to go. It was going to work. But in the 1730s, God began to move in America in response to the hunger of people. In Southampton, Massachusetts, in 1739, a revival broke out among the congregational churches there. Now, these were very, very, very conservative people, English people, colonists. But God began to visit the congregational churches in and around Southampton, Massachusetts, In 1739, and to the utter amazement, 300 congregational people got saved. Now, by today's standard, that's not a big number. That's not a big crowd. That's not a big advertisement for a great revival. But in 1739, that was like without precedent that suddenly 300 staunch, conservative, liturgical, religious-type people had an amazing encounter with a supernatural God. It would change. But what some people thought was the end really was just the beginning of something else that would come in the months later and in the next two years. Because in 1740, 1741, That little shower of glory, that little shower of blessing, that shower of revival in Southampton gave way to a tsunami of the glory of God. We just had a tropical storm, Debbie, that came right through our driveway last week. I mean, we were right there in the middle of it. It started raining and rained hard and got harder and harder and harder and harder And harder until it rained almost a foot and a half. That's a lot of rain. Thank God for the rain. I mean, we needed the rain. But, Pastor Terry, it was interesting to me that there were areas in Florida that had been in a drought for years that went from extreme drought condition to flood condition in a day. There's a story there somewhere. When the wells begin to erupt, (laughs) it can go from a spiritual drought in your city to a spiritual flood in your city in a day, in a day. That's all it takes. Well, in 1741, they went from a rain shower at Southampton to what ultimately became known as the First Great Awakening in America is God's glory, God's power, God's anointing began to fall supernaturally upon the colonies. We all love great Holy Ghost meetings. Beloved, I've read accounts of some of the Holy Ghost meetings these conservative Englishmen were having that they literally had to tie people to trees with a rope because the power of God would come. And I mean, it was just to keep them from hurting themselves. They would be going down under the power of God and jerking and rolling. I mean, it was just, it was wholesale revival that some historians believe probably touched somewhere in the 60% range of all the colonists got touched in the First Great Awakening. Whatever the percentages were, I don't know. God knows it was all his doing, and I won't argue about numbers. But some people believe that probably 60% or maybe even upwards of that, some evidence seemed to indicate, got touched by God's power and touched by God's glory during that visitation in the 1740s that moved over to the 1750s and carried on into the 1760s. Then there came a day that God had moved in such amazing ways. Beloved, these stories are part of American history. One of my children was a history major, the University of South Florida, and his favorite professor was a professor named Dr. Belalovic. Dr. Belalovic was a esteemed, nationally, internationally recognized historian and scholar. My son took all of his courses that he could. It was hard, but it was worth it. Belolovic knew his stuff. Dr. Belolovic is not a Christian. He will tell you that he is not a Christian. But in every course that Belolovic teaches about America, American history, He teaches for two or three days, and there are actually questions on the exams about the Great Awakening. And he will say, I do not know what that was, except to say it was God. It was not a social phenomena. It was not a man-generated phenomena. It was nothing to do with people. But this was some kind of an intervention of God that went on in our nation in those early formative years. We know what it was. We know what it was, and we know why it was. And we know what was in the heart and plan and counsel of God to do in those days. America was born 236 years ago when a group of people, meeting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, put their signatures on a document that was called the Declaration of Independence. We've done many, many meetings in Philadelphia. I was just in Philadelphia about a month ago. I love to go to Philadelphia. It was the birthplace. It was where America was born, right downtown, right down in the middle of it all. But this nation was birthed. Those men, they either sign their signatures on a document that would make them famous or they sign their signatures on their own death warrants when they sign. Because you just don't tell the most powerful nation in the world, England, hey, we're out of here. We're going to keep it for ourselves. We're going to do our own thing. When the king gets that memo, not going to like it. And they didn't like it. And you remember what happened when they didn't like it. The end result was over. America was born. And we were a nation, and we prevailed, and we maintained our independence. But the people that were a part of those days were people that had been exposed to God, exposed to the things of God. I'd like to read you just a few little quotations. This quotation came from the first president of the United States, George Washington, He said, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. John Adams, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and the second president of the United States, was quoted as saying, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. The third President of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, said, and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are a gift of God? That they are not to be violated but with His wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and His justice cannot sleep forever. The fourth president of the United States James Madison said, before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe. I like that. The sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams said, is it not in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is linked with the birthday of the Savior, that it forms a a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission on earth, that it laid the cornerstones of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity? The United States Congress, 1853, in a Senate Judiciary report, said we are a Christian people. Not because the law demands it, not to gain exclusive benefits or avoid legal disabilities, but from choice and education and in a land universally Christian, what is to be expected, what is desired, but that we shall pay due regard to Christ. From the same committee two years later, at the same time the adoption of the Constitution and the amendments, the universal sentiment was that Christianity should be encouraged In this age, there can be no substitute from Christianity. That was the religion of the founders, Congress said, of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. I was so interested to read a quotation from the student handbook at Harvard University. Every Harvard student got a student handbook, and this was part of the the student handbook. Let every student at Harvard be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life, and studies is to know God in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Therefore, to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning, and seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Everyone shall so exercise himself in the reading of the Scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein. From Yale University, Yale University, the two most prestigious education in America. From Yale University, Student Guidelines 1787 All the scholars are required to live a religious and blameless life according to the rules of God's Word, diligently reading the Holy Scriptures, that fountain of divine light and truth, and constantly attending all the duties of religion. I remember some years ago actually doing meetings there in Connecticut, just a few miles from Yale University. The pastor took me to Yale And we went to the chapel. I remember it so well, just the hard, cold, granite stone floor there in the chapel and the balcony, and it was all wood frame construction. Hollow today, void today, but it was in that very building that every student of Yale came for church, and God was worshiped, and the Bible was preached in these days. Interestingly enough, I want to read to you this morning just a few, not all, of the preambles to state constitutions. Not many people know that in every one of the 50 states of America, God is mentioned in the preamble of their state constitution. Every one. Alabama's constitution, 1901. We, the people of the state of Alabama, invoking the favor and guidance of Almighty God, do ordain and establish the following constitution. Alaska, 1956, we, the people of Alaska, grateful to God and to those who founded our nation and pioneered this great land. Arizona, in 1911, we, the people of the state of Arizona, grateful to Almighty God for our liberties do ordain this Constitution. Arkansas, we the people of the state of Arkansas, grateful to Almighty God for His goodness and for the privilege of choosing our own form of government. We the people of the state of California, grateful to Almighty God for His blessings and His freedom. We the people of the state of Colorado, with profound reverence for the supreme ruler. Of the universe. It goes on and on and on, right down to Minnesota, 1857. We, the people of the state of Minnesota, grateful to God for our civil and religious liberty and desire to perpetuate its blessings. It's in your state constitution. If you emptied out all the money, In every bank in this city tomorrow morning, if you took every $1 bill, every penny, every nickel, every dime, every quarter, if you went and took every $1, $5, $10, $20, $50, $100 bill in every bank in Minneapolis, put it all over here at the football stadium, and started going through them one at a time examine not one piece of money would you find that did not have these words in God we trust not one of them in God we trust in God it's all there it's all there Psalm 33 we read it already it said blessed is the nation blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The reason behind America's greatness, the reason for America being the envy of the rest of the world, the leader of the world in every category, my brothers and sisters, it was not because of our smarts, our work, our climate, our resources. It was the blessing of of almighty God that has rested upon this nation from before its beginning. To the people that came here to settle, to the revival in Southampton, to the great awakening of the 1740s and the impact it had upon us as a nation and as a society that was reflected in our laws and in our national awareness of of who we were and what we were all about as a people, as a people. Would you turn with me, please, to Malachi chapter 1. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, God is speaking to Israel, but I believe at the same time God is speaking to people. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the wells. He's speaking to America. And he said in verse 6, he said, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Beloved, in our time together, I just feel a real stirring in my heart for this visit to Minneapolis. That we're going to be looking at, God willing, a theme that runs all the way through the Bible and all the way through recorded human history. And that is God likes honor. He likes honor. I don't understand it all. One day we will understand. But God prizes honor. He cherishes honor. The first commandment that God ever gave to mankind in God's top 10 list that He gave to Moses on the mountain, the very first of those commandments was what? You shall have no other gods before me. You will have no other gods before me. I am going to be number one, number two, number three. God was saying, I want loyalty, I want respect, I want reverence, I want everybody to understand that I will not compete for your affections. Let me let you in on a little secret today, it's election season, you know, kind of like hunting season and deer season, turkeys, all those others, it's election season right now. I want you to understand something very clearly. God's not running this time. And He didn't run last time. And He didn't run in the election before that one, nor the one before that, nor the one before that, and not before that either. God is not running. He's already gotten elected. He doesn't need a job. And everything He's ever said, He meant, and everything He's ever promised, it was all good And everything that he ever set in motion, it's all still in motion. But one of the things that God so desires is honor. It's part of his DNA. He wants to be honored. He wants to be reverenced. He wants to be respected. Those writings that I quoted from today were penned by people that understood the principle of honor. Those state preambles to the Constitution were pinned by people that understood the principle of honor and reverence. Those people that were responsible for putting that little piece on your money understood in God we trust. When all the media comes and all the TV cameras come and all the newspapers come and they sit with bated breath, before the nine judges of the United States Supreme Court in Washington as they sit on that prestigious court blazoned on the walls of the Supreme Court are those words, in God we trust. It's on the walls of the courthouses, the State House of Minnesota. The people that made those decisions to put those things there understood where we came from and how we got here, that it was not of our own doing, but it was the blessing of God given as a gift to us. Beloved, I love America, but I want you to look at it today, and I want you to see it today, and you do, and you understand. And we don't have to belabor that point. We don't have to make a big thing. Everybody here understands. Everybody here understands very, very clearly the place we're in and the place that seems to be bombarding us, that everybody says we need to go to, that bombards us day and night in our media, in our art, in everything that we read, everything we see, the values that are being propagated and put upon people In America today are not the values and are not the foundation stones that we began to build on 236-plus years ago. And that's the issue. I mean, we're in a place today of it's election season. If you turn on your television longer than five minutes, and I'm guessing by the end of October, if you turn it on longer than five seconds... Somebody's going to be on there, and they're going to be promising you things, saying things. If you'll vote for me next Tuesday, I will take us back to the place we were when God blessed us. That's what this election is about, is people promising us that they will take us back to a place of blessing, but beloved, I don't want to break anybody's balloon this morning, but I want you to understand that there's no political party, there's no candidate, there's no political ideology that can take us back to the place of blessing again. I get amused sometimes when I I listen to the politicians and everything they promise, everything they tell us. I have a different perspective, I suppose, from a lot of folks, you know, when I hear that all we need to do to get America on its feet again is get rid of government regulation, get rid of taxes, and encourage entrepreneurship in small business. That's going to fix everything. Honey, I just came from a place called India where they don't have any tax, where they don't have any government, <laughs> where they have no rules, They have no regulation, and everybody has a business working 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week trying to survive. Beloved, what we have today in America that makes it so special is blessing. It's blessing. And politicians and political parties will not bring the blessing of God On our nation again. That's our job. That's the church's job. And it's all about the issue of honor. The condition of a nation as a people, as a culture, as a society will always be a reflection of the condition of the church of that nation. We are the salt, we are the light. We are the little rudder on the back of the ship that turns the big super tanker. It's always about the church. That scripture that Pastor Terry read this morning, I've preached on it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And do what? Turn. Turn from their wicked ways. Why do we turn from our wicked ways? Because of honor. It's all over the issue of honor. God said, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I will heal it. I will heal it. I will bless it. I will cause it to flourish. I will cause it to be repaired. I will cause it to begin to get well. I will cause things to change socially, politically, economically, culturally. I can turn it if my people will begin to honor me. Honor me. Honor me. You're going to hear that word a lot if you come. I'm convinced in my heart, Pastor Terry, it's like burning inside of me. And it just won't go away, this issue of honor in the church. God's not impressed with big programs. He's not impressed with talent. He's not impressed with budgets and staff. He's not impressed with anything. What does impress him is honor. People in humility and reverence and respect who long to honor him because of who he is. Those people that God used to found this nation, were they all perfect? No. Did some of them have flaws? Of course. But these were people, these were men that had a fundamental understanding of who Almighty God is and that he's worthy of honor. He's worthy of respect. I was amazed this week at the announcement, I guess, of the discovery of what they call Higgs boson. How many have kind of been following that? Well, they say in the scientific community that what they announce that they have, they don't really altogether understand what they have, but they say is is it really For science, it's as important of a step as really the discovery of electricity, the discovery of DNA, the discovery of things we can't see except through microbiology, except through a a microscope. It was first hypothesized by a man by the name of Higgs. He's up in his 90s now. But he had a theory, and he said there's something out there That holds everything together. There has to be something that holds stuff together. We understand molecules. We understand atoms. We understand neutrons and protons. We understand all of that. But there's got to be something out there beyond that that acts as the glue that holds everything that is together or it would just all fly away into chaos in a millisecond. It would just all be gone. And so they began to call that the God particle, based on the Scripture in Colossians about Jesus, who made all things, and by him all things exist. It was actually called the God particle in the scientific community for recent years. What they did to begin to study or to try to figure this out, is they went to the border between France and Switzerland, and they spent $10 billion building a circular tunnel that was to be called the Hadron Collider, or Hadron Collider, I guess it was. But it was 17 miles, some of it in Switzerland, some of it in France. A big circle. Took them years to build this thing. And the idea was they would go inside this tunnel and they would fire in opposite directions a beam of concentrated light, light traveling at 186,262 miles a second. That way and this way, and that beam of light was going to follow its way around that 17-mile. I mean, how long did that take? And wherever it collided, they wanted to understand what would happen. We were actually in England a couple of years ago when they had completed this thing and they were about to test it for the very first time. It was all on English television. It was all in the newspapers that physicists, a group of physicists from all over the world had actually joined together in a lawsuit in an attempt to prevent that test. These were not nuts, kooks. These were eminent physicists that were in a lawsuit trying to get a judge to prevent them from doing that test because they said if what we think is there and what you're proposing to do, you actually do, you could cause something to happen that would in a millionth of a second, turn the entire world and this solar system into just a black hole, that everything would be gone in a moment. If you split the thing that holds all of this together, you could set off some sort of a reaction that the whole world and everything around it would just suddenly be gone in a moment of time. Well, The judge did not agree, and the test began. And this week, it was officially announced that they have evidence. They did not see it, but it was like they saw the smoke trail from where it had been in like one trillionth of a trillionth of a second. It was like they found the footprint of Higgs boson or whatever it was that was like it but it was the discovery of something that's there that keeps everything together and holds it together. Science books, physics books are now going to have to all be rewritten. There really is a God particle that holds everything together. Now, I'm closing. The only thing that holds America together today are these little pockets of people like the whales that understand honor for God. So small you can't see them. So small you can hardly find them. It's not a big movement. It doesn't have a lot of popularity. doesn't get a lot of media coverage. But they're just all these little particles, these little God particles all across this nation and across other nations of men and women and teenagers and young people that have a reverential honor and a reverential respect for God in His glory. It's the only thing that's holding America together today. I'm convinced. I mean, last last Saturday in St. Petersburg, Florida, we had 80,000 80,000 people came to St. Petersburg last Saturday to celebrate Gay Pride Day, 80,000. I remember several years ago, I was in the Tampa airport going someplace early that morning on that Saturday that they were having gay pride in in Tampa. And I saw stuff, I mean, I'm 60 years old. I've been to four goat ropings and three county fairs. I get around, I've seen some stuff. I saw stuff in my airport I'd never seen before. in The middle of the morning, in public, in the airport, on people that were coming to Tampa to celebrate that day. Beloved, I'm telling you, the only thing that holds it together today are pockets of men and women and churches, most of them very, very, very small that you really can't see very with a lot of high visibility. That because they love God, but they understand honor and reverence and respect. They are now the glue, the only glue. The Republicans will not fix America. The Democrats will not fix America. I mean, I really don't care what your political persuasion is today. I believe that they're honest people for the most part, and they're sincere people for the most part, and for the most part they believe the message that they teach. But the message of reality is just simply, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord because of honor. We're going to be talking a lot about honor, a lot about honor. Don't be upset that you're small right now. We were in a meeting week before last with John Kilpatrick and Nathan Morris from the revival down in Alabama that God is using John Kilpatrick made this statement. He said, God showed me. He said, There's coming a day very, very soon. He said that people are literally going to begin running, running to churches where God's presence. They're going to empty out everything like somebody pulled the fire alarm. Running. Looking for places. The wells is one of those places. Because God is honored here. He's valued here. You may be little bitty. All these places that God is using now, like Higgs, Boson, they don't have a lot of visibility. But they are the glue. They are the glue that's keeping it all together. And those are the places that are going to bring the glory and the anointing and the revival that God wants to bring.